0: What is behavioral economics and how can it do Rails successful security training? That's our topic this week on the TICE podcast with Bridget Kenyon, DIS, EMEA, CISO, and Information Security Program at TARLIS. My name is Anna Delaney, editor at TICE. I caught up with Bridget at the security conference CyberConnect UK back in November. Bridget never fails to fascinate me with her ability to talk about any topic in great detail. This time, she delved into why security training isn't working in its current form. And instead of working against people's natural behaviours, we need to work with them. In fact, trying to get people to change their behaviours is quite frankly useless. Bridget explains how cybersecurity can work for and with people, and how this isn't about win lose battles. Cybersecurity is an infinite game. Here, Bridget is giving a brief summary of what behavioural economics is.
1: Basically the idea is that humans have an innate way of making decisions um, which falls into one of two categories. The the fast and limitedly rational way, and the slow and rational way. Uh, There's another way of looking at it, which is kind of cool, which is the idea that humans have uh, bounded rationality. We believe ourselves to be able to use logic to make decisions. But when you actually use a computer and do some analysis and statistics on how we really make decisions, a huge amount of decision making is actually not very rational at all. Um, so, For example, when you are, if you track the impulses in someone's brain to see when they make a decision compared to when they think they made the decision, there's actually a, a few seconds in between the two. Their, their conscious mind is being presented with the decision And they think they've made that decision rationally, but what they've actually done in those few seconds is make up a story that sounds rational to fill in the gap between, well, it just seemed like the right decision. Mm. So, behavioral economics is taking that into account and understanding that we are evolved to think fast, to run away from the tiger, to not jump off the precipice while running away from the tiger, to spit out food because it tastes funny to watch where everybody else is avoiding and avoid that too, without having to think about it too hard. Because sometimes you have to make decisions historically and evolutionarily, if that is a word. You have to make decisions to survive, and in order to survive, you had to think fast, and our rational thought processes are not fast, even as, in as much as they are rational.
0: So let's so apply this to cybersecurity, yep. how does this impact cyber?
1: It means that people will make decisions on information risk, on cyber risk, and they will think those decisions are rational, but in fact they are they bounded rationality. They, people think they've made a decision based on the likelihood and the impact of a risk, and actually it's because they had um, a really bad night's sleep and they feel like saying no. <laughs> but they, they can build a little story in between here and there that takes them to a, what looks like a, a fairly rational decision. In addition to this, you've got the System 1 and System 2 thinking. So people making decisions on cyber risk, they can use System 1 thinking, which is fast. And that's things like, oh, what did I do last time? What did people around me do? Quick shortcut ways of making decisions. So instead, when you receive an email, to determine whether or not it's a phishing email, you can go one of two ways. You can go System 1 thinking, right, does this look like one I had before? Um, Has has someone else around me gone, ooh, look, funny phishing email. Did I read a story about phishing emails this morning, so I'm feeling a bit more paranoid about these things. But very gut instinct, but very quick. And then you think, well, I don't like that, you get rid of it. Fair enough, that's quick. The system two thinking is when you sit there and you go through all these steps that people give you that you're supposed to go through to determine whether an email is a phishing email, and you can download these checklists. They're, very, they're designed for people who are in that, that really step-based, rational, slow mindset, and you will come to a conclusion. You will be fairly confident on it, and there will be some rational decision-making process there, maybe not as much as you thought there was, but you will have taken 10 minutes on every email you receive. Mm. And, and we don't just not practical. <laughs> So cybersecurity is about getting people so that they can make those snap decisions more reliably. Mm-hmm. So that they can manage their risk without having to slow their lives down. People do not naturally operate in a system two mode all the time because it, is, it takes time. It takes energy and it takes focus. Do you want pe- your staff spending their time and their energy and their focus on being cybersecurity experts? Unless of course that's your business. Mm. It's bridging the gap. So how do you bridge the gap? How do you? What's the key to changing behaviour? The key to changing behaviour is understanding that some behaviour is innate and you shouldn't be trying to change it. What you need to do is make the world easier for people to live in. For example, passwords. This is a, a particular bugbear of everyone I've ever met who's mm-hmm. had a password. Which is that they can't think of a password, they can't remember their passwords. Um, They're continually concerned that people are expecting them to have 15 different passwords, even within a single organisation, forget all the passwords you have for your home life. The problem is not that they have have trouble remembering their passwords, the problem is that they're being asked to do something which is completely unnatural. We don't have a special password manager system in our head. We can get one and that helps. Giving somebody a password management system helps fill in the gap labelled. A computer actually does this better than you do, but we won't let you use a computer. Yeah, let them use a computer to hold their passwords, and maybe go a step further and think of something that doesn't involve them being working against their nature, working against your nature. Um, it's like imagine if people were made of, of little rubber sticks. Imagine maybe maybe a 20 centimeter little rubber stick, and imagine you want to tie that stick into a knot. You can tie it, yes, but you have to hang on to the ends or it's going to come untied. And that's what you're doing when you're asking people to do things like remember passwords, create new passwords. You're pushing against what is comfortable what is natural for them as human beings. And in order to keep them behaving that way you have to keep pushing that. You have to keep training them. You have to keep measuring them. And it's all extra work that you're doing because the systems that they're using are not fit for purpose. Mm-hmm. So different people, if extending the, the pretzel analogy, you know, tying people into pretzels or knots, have different levels of, of, of um, resilience. And in this case, the word resilience I'm using to, if you imagine, it's their, it's their tendency to spring back into their original shape. Some people need a lot more reinforcement, a lot more sort of hanging on to the ends of that knot for them not to spring back into their original shape not to go back to how they were. The, the idea that this is appropriate is one of the fundamental misconceptions of cybersecurity. The idea that forcing people to to change their behavior is the obvious solution to them not behaving the way you want. You need to find out why that's happening and then address the root cause and in many cases I'm not saying all cases, in many cases it's because what they're being asked to do is essentially unreasonable. The IT systems are not operating to support people. They're operating to support processes, and then people are being expected to alter their, nat- their natural behaviors to also support these processes. So we are all becoming slaves to something which was supposed to help us. So how can cybersecurity help support people? two ways. One is helping, is looking at the user experience first. Make it easy. Make it the default. Make it something that people would do anyway. They'll say, oh yes, that makes perfect sense. Or, oh goodness, why wasn't it always like this? That, it's expensive. And that's the problem. People see that as being an unnecessary expense. But what you also want to do is compare that expense to the amount of money and effort you're spending trying to get people to change their behaviour and to maintain that changed behaviour once they have changed. In some cases you can change, convince people or educate people to change behaviour and it sticks. Because that new behaviour is also consistent with how they would find, how they would act naturally. So it's not like there's one true way that everyone naturally behaves. There are are sort of points which are comfortable for people, where they will will settle and they they will behave nicely in both states, if you like. But so much of cybersecurity and the technologies and the activities that we're asking people to participate in and to do require so much continuous effort because their natural state is not there. It's in another spot. Find that other spot and work out how to help security... work for that person in that comfortable state and you won't have to have training. The fact that you're having to do awareness training means that you've got something wrong in the first place. Yes, encouraging people to understand that not everybody is your friend, that, fair enough, you do have to teach people that, Mm. but encouraging, teaching them how to create a password, teaching them how to vet a phishing email, teaching them how to update their computer. These are all things that are symptoms of the underlying problem, which is that the technology is not supporting the person. The person is having to fill in a gap that the technology has left for them. So is it
0: about getting better technology?
1: Yeah, it's about getting better technology that supports the user experience and at the same and by doing security at the appropriate layer. You know um, technology, in technology or in IT you've got this OSI model, seven layers of, of IT going from literally electronics and, and electrons and bits and bytes all the way up to application and presentation and the things that people see and, and actually interact with. Well, you want to take the security measures down away from the people so that the person doesn't, yes, they are always going to have to have some level of critical evaluation of what's coming into them, because people can swindle people very directly. But you shouldn't be trying to fill in the gaps in the technology such that you know people can send an email that looks like it came from someone else. Mm. That's a technological problem that you're trying to teach people to fill in the gap of. So yeah, there's there's always a place for tra- for training people in how to think about security.
0: I want to talk about value because the mm-hmm. academic, Dana, really talks about the need for cybersecurity policy creators to communicate the value of following their policies to their audience. I want to know your thoughts on that.
1: I'd flip it inside out. As usual. Sorry.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, you're, you're talking about communicating the value of your policies to your audience. Um, that implies that you're, audi- that you're turning up, you're, you're sitting up in your ivory tower, you're writing your policy and you're coming down with it and going, hey look everybody, I've got 89 sheets of policy. And then the question is, how do you get them to engage with it? The underlying problem is that they should have been up there in that ivory tower with you. You shouldn't be explaining to them how great your policy is. It's their policy, they should have written it. They should be a fundamental part of its creation. It should not be coming out of IT or out of security. So if you're trying to, if you've got the question, how do I communicate my policy to the stakeholders? You actually need to chuck your policy and go to the stakeholders and find out what they need and get them to help help you build it.
0: So tell me more about the process that you employ. Yeah. you go to all staff, I think. Yeah, we, we have a
1: communications technique via the um, information security champions, or we have done. We're in the middle of a major reorg, but I'm talking about the, the state before the reorg. So we had, for each functional area and each major site, um, we had information security champions. So that if we were considering policy changes, we would ask, we would present them with the issues and ask them to talk to their teams about the issues and what options there might be, people, ideas that people might have. We would combine those with ideas from the security team and start putting together some suggested policies. So we're not talking full documents. The last thing you want to do is throw full, final documents at people because they feel like they've missed the boat. I mean, everybody has fear of missing out FOMO. Mm-hmm. This is like the work version of FOMO, everybody thinks, well, it's too late, I've missed the boat, what can I do to stop it happening next time? And, and you end up with this disorganized approach to policy creation from there on in because people keep trying to get in early on whatever, that, whatever might be happening. So we'd send out suggested, poli- not policy statements necessarily, just we're thinking of increasing the policy lifespan, the password lifespan, to you know 120 days, or we're thinking of making it necessary, we're thinking of recommending a single pass- uh, password manager, or uh, we're thinking of um, getting everybody to do voting on, on this system through this interface. What do you think? and get people, again the the information security champions could take take that back to their teams and talk to them about it and then we could get feedback and we did that all through the um, intranet. So we were using something based on Jive which was very interactive. People could vote, people could comment and whoever had created a page could see what its penetration was into the user community because everyone using the site was logged on. So you could track how many people had seen a particular article and how many people had engage with it so you, you could actually by putting stuff on there and it was an open open channel we had a closed channel for the initial discussions and then we'd put it into an open channel so the entire staff population could see these at that point it was sample policy statements rather than just ideas and then the important thing was to get back to people with okay this is this is what you've said and this is what we're thinking to do about it. And then this is finally what's been decided so admittedly they couldn't make the final decision but they could see why it had been made that way
0: and how effective was that
1: it was very effective i mean we got some initial pushback what you're doing is extremely visible so what you're doing is essentially quite it could be quite dangerous because it's an open comms with the entire organization can see and they will base their opinions of your team and for that matter information security on how you respond to people who are critical of the presented, presented options, for example. So you have to be very careful about how you respond. Be positive, but not, not the sort of positive that says, I, I love everybody's comments and then, oh, by the way, we didn't do anything. Or the type of, the type of positive is, is, oh yes, we did loads of stuff with your comments, here's the response, but not conveniently not addressing something that doesn't work. The advantage in a way was because we're an engineering company you could be a little sort of direct, so if someone says that crap, you'd say, well I don't think it is crap, and this is why, or, yeah, I can see where you're coming from, but the, you know, the pragmatic reality is, yes, I'd love to do what you've said, but this is, it's just not going to work in practice, and this is why. And people respect that if you're willing to engage with their point. and even if you can't agree with it, even if the reason for not agreeing with it is because we can't afford that, they will respect you for telling them
0: mm. so in a way to make security work you're working with mm. people it's their it's
1: their security Security. the only reason cyber security exists is because we have this backlog problem of technology not well providing additional opportunity for people to defraud swindle cheat and lie to each other it's all things that they were doing already it's just now there's a a convenient medium which is more complicated and hard to understand and provides additional opportunities. So you have like cyber enabled crime where people could phone you up and say hi I'm your um, supplier can you pay me through a different back um, transfer route because I've changed my account. That's not necessarily a cyber attack but it is an information security issue because you've been told something by it wasn't your supplier which is then now you're paying the attacker so they, so they instead of using the phone they can use email and the thing is on the phone you might not recognize the voice you might not recognize the source phone number and you might smell a rat on email it can look a lot more like it really did come from the supplier or they can hack the supplier's ba- um, email account it was one of the presentations this morning was talking about that and then it really does come from the supplier or at least it comes from their account. So that's cyber-enabled. It, it's been made a little more plausible, a little more hard to understand, because you've got this extra layer of technology and complexity.
0: I want to know what the ineffective um, uh, ways of making positive cybersecurity behavior, what
1: are they? What's really not worked? I think the, the, one, the, the example I came across, um, which was the funniest one, um, was where a, a large organization was having problems with its de- the quality of the sort of the code it was producing. So its programmers were making a lot of security errors. So the resulting products had security flaws. And it decided that it would compensate. It would actually give developers a bonus for finding security flaws. The problem was it gave them a bonus for finding security flaws in code they had written. Mm. So it was like a license to print money, mm-hmm. and the developers were actually deliberately introducing security flaws so they could get money out of it. <laughs> so that, that, was, that was a particularly entertaining um, own goal. <laughs> yeah. Other ways are, are if you have too much stick and not enough carrot. So people have nothing but bad news mm. and threats um, that, that they encounter when they hear about security. And then it, it, you start, it's like Pavlov's dog, you know, instead people hear security, they actually hear punishment mm. or threat or no, because that's all they've ever heard from the awareness team, is you've got to do this or bad things will happen. There was no carrot, there was no good story. A lot of a lot of cybersecurity awareness training is about all the bad things will ha- that will happen if you behave wrongly. And you hear like cyber attack, cyber mm. warfare, yeah. It's all aggressive. It's all bad news and it's all quite, yeah, quite, quite adversarial. And that also means that people who don't think that way will be automatically switched off the moment you start using that word, those words, you're actually, not not disenfranchising, but you're, you're creating a, a gap, deliberately in some ways, between yourself and a lot of your, your staff and your, your colleagues by te- teaching, treating this as a win-lose scenario. There's, I was reading yesterday, There was. there's two sorts of games. One is the sort where you win or lose and then everybody walks away. And the other sort is where, in fact, the purpose is to remain in the game. Like if you think about tennis, mm. there's two ways people play tennis. There's I win, you lose, and there's keep, what they call keepy-uppy, mm-hmm. when you're just trying to keep the ball in the air as long as possible. Good rally, yeah. Yeah. And in, in some ways, People have been treating cybersecurity, or for that matter business, as a finite game where you win and walk away or you lose and walk away, where in fact what you're aiming for is to stay in the game, is to not lose so bad that you go out of business. And there's no such thing as you won at cybersecurity and now you can go away. Mm. And there's a completely different set of techniques and strategies that you use if you're in an infinite game. I think that's where cyber needs to go. It needs to move away from this finite win-lose good-bad concept and needs to be a lot more nuanced and a lot more long-term.
0: So is that the key to resiliency?
1: Mm, yeah. The, the, this is the sort of resilience where you, you fall down and you can get back up. Mm. It's not the sort of resilience where you, you try and train people and they just keep reverting to their original behaviours, which is, I like to use as the other, the other sort of resilience. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, <laughs> the the ability to weather um, weather the storm and to, to come out of it. Maybe you have got a bit wet. Maybe you're going to have to go and, and change your shirt, but you can still make the presentation and you can still do your job.
0: Bridget, thank you so
1: much. No problem Thank you. Thanks to Bridget.
0: Lots of excellent thoughts shared there. That's all for this week. Do join us next time for more Cyber Conversations.